If you want to stop the revolving door of employees and find the talent you need, there's only one place to go. Apprenticeship Works, where the experts talk about building today's modern workforce. Welcome to Apprenticeship Works. Uh, we've got a really exciting episode today. Uh, we are here with uh, Forsyth Technical and Community College in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And we've got a couple guests today. We've got one, uh, David Dinkins, who is the Department of Chair of Advanced Manufacturing, and Danielle Rose, who is the Apprenticeship Coordinator. Um, Danielle and David, uh, thank, uh, thank you for coming and welcome to uh, Apprenticeship Works. Glad to be here. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for having us. Great. Um, so let's just jump right in and, and let's start to learn a little bit about what you guys are going on. First, I mean, just let's learn a little bit about, you know, you guys, yourselves and your background. Danielle, uh, why don't we just start with you? Absolutely. So back when I was in graduate school, I did a lot of projects in my grad program around uh, internships, skills needed on the job, department of labor type things. And when I graduated, I worked as a vocational rehab counselor. And for those of you that don't know, those are counselors that help people to find jobs and get the training to, to get into those jobs. When I, was, when I was working in that role, my favorite clients, I know you don't have favorites, but my favorite clients were the college students that I worked with. So from there, I applied for a job at Forsyth Tech, running our internship program. Did that for three years. It's called Work-Based Learning. It's a four-credit internship program. And while I was in that role, the, the word apprenticeship started coming up a lot. We got a new college president. She was on board with starting an apprenticeship program. And so I jumped into that role as apprenticeship coordinator back in, in 2019. And I've been doing that ever since. So you've been doing apprenticeships since 2019, but you were doing internships, which is really it's, it's the same thing, just a different name, uh, for exactly. three years prior. Yeah, a lot of transferable skills there. Excellent. So you've got, you're, you're really five years into this. Uh, so that's excellent. Yeah. I'm having fun every day. That's good to hear. So David, how about yourself? So, um, I've, I've actually been with the college since, uh, 2009. I started as an adjunct, came on full time, uh, about a year later. Um, so I've been instructing courses and drafting and design and, and other closely related courses. Um, my, my background, uh, leading into that, uh, actually when I was in high school, um, in, in addition to the regular college prep classes, I took some vocational courses specifically in drafting just because that's what I really enjoyed. That led me into engineering. Um, I started doing an uh, internship when I was in high school with an engineering firm. That led me uh, to go into work in that field, doing drafting design work uh, for industrial and, and commercial projects. And I uh, later completed a BS degree in industrial technology with the uh, concentration in manufacturing systems. Um, so fast forward into my time at the college, um, I've been department chair now for nearly four years. And um, in that time, one of my main focuses has really been uh, partnering with industry here regionally, uh, just to create a more engaging model for the college and, and employers to work together. So that's interesting. So you, you really started with the industry and the companies uh, and have worked your way back to formulate, formulate your program is what it kind of sounded like? Yes. So yeah, the, the, the employers have a direct relationship with us and they are directly involved in activities related to curriculum development and design. Wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about the beginning of your apprenticeship program. Uh, Danielle, you said it started, I think, uh, three years ago now. Uh, kind of how did it evolve? How, how did you go from you had the internship program and then you moved over to apprenticeship? Let's let's talk a little bit about how how that how that actually began. Well, I'll say in the beginning of 2019, I could barely spell the word apprenticeship. I mean, I was doing so much research. I was very confused. I was hearing from employers that they wanted this program. And then one day I had that aha moment of, we can really customize an apprenticeship program to meet our needs here at the college. It's not a, a one size fits all. So once I determined, or once I found out that there were, were decisions we could make to, to build our program, we, we really just got to work. So there are adult apprenticeships, there are youth apprenticeships, there's time-based, there's competency-based. We went with a two to three year advanced manufacturing adult apprenticeship that is a hybrid model. So competency based on the job, 
time-based at school, meaning you must complete the number of related instruction hours. And from there, it, it, it just kind of, it fit. It, it went with what our industry partners were wanting when we presented, presented it to them. I, I remember walking in the door to our first employer partner thinking, well, here, here we go. And we walked out with smiles on our face and a signed agreement in our hands. So, so once we learned, we could customize it to what the employers needed, that the college could really take charge and be the sponsor of this program, uh, it, it, it set us up for success. So you just said something really interesting. So you have a hybrid program and it's competency on the job and then time in school. And that sounds pretty unique to me. That's, that's pretty cool. So the companies are more focused on the competency and the classroom time. The classroom is really more about time. Obviously there's a great element there. Um, exactly. But it's spending the, it's, it's putting in the hours in the school, but then building the comp or, or earning the competency on the job. Exactly, and that has worked out really well for both our apprentices and our employer partners because for those apprentices that excel on the job and they learn quickly and they're, they're confident in their skills, they can move through the on-the-job training part much quicker. And for those apprentices that might be brand new to the industry, they want the extra training opportunities. Their employers want to spend more time developing them they can move through the competencies slower. And so it's really been a win-win in, in both in both cases. So sure. that's why we have a range on the program, two to three years, because every person's gonna get through the competencies on their own timing. So David, from your perspective with the with the employers, do you, is, is that how you see it working out, that they've got some flexibility now that, yes, if somebody's like a, just a go-getter and they can just blow right through, they can get them up to speed faster, but then they've got the comfort level of not everybody's built that way. Uh, and that gives them some flexibility and broader, uh, a broader audience that they can develop. Absolutely. So for us, you know, on the educational side here at the college, we're, we're really big on, on understanding where the student is, you know, at that moment and meeting them there. So in a way, the employers are able to do that as well because this model gives them the flexibility. Uh, you know, if you've got a, a, uh, an individual who excels at one particular task in a short amount of time, then they can move on to other tasks that maybe uh, they're going to have to commit a little more time to to master that competency. Also, um, we do get students with some prior experience, so they may already come in with some competencies. So we can, uh, you know, kind of fast track, so to speak, on the employer side of saying, well, you know, if you've been doing a particular uh, job in a facility, you know, for the past two years, you may have already mastered 10 of these competencies. If you can prove through the employer assessment and your time on the job that you've done that, they can essentially check that off the list. And we have some similar mechanisms in place uh, on the academic side. So within the program, if someone comes in and they already have some experience um, that within some of our courses, they can actually take a proficiency exam or a challenge uh, exam, which a lot of times is in the form of a hands-on project. And uh, we can we can you know match that up against a rubric and we can assess. Uh, that student's skill level and knowledge. So that's great. The prior learning really helps people accelerate them through. So if they're not, you know, you've got somebody who's been working on a job, maybe they're a welder or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. they can kind of uh, use that and leverage that in your program. So that's wonderful. Yeah, um, absolutely. So when, when did you, so you guys actually started this, I believe you started advanced manufacturing. Did you say 2019? Um, so talk about the very first, you, cause you, you talked a little bit about, you went into the first employer and it's probably a little nerve wracking. We've all been there. Uh, and you walked out with, with a deal. So kind of, kind of walk us through what that was like, just getting that first group together, that first employer on board. That was, that was really what we needed to take off. Once we had one employer and that employer could share with other employer partners who we work with, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to join this program it just snowballed from there. So in 2019, we started with two occupations, industrial maintenance technician and the computer integrated machining options. And then we started with four manufacturing employer partners. So we had two large corporate companies and two smaller local companies. Because the college is the sponsor, we also really spearhead the recruitment so that we have a pool of candidates to show these employers. So our focus with the first cohort was our pre-apprenticeship. So 
quickly. That happens over the summer. It's a three-week class where they get OSHA 10 certified. They get their Six Sigma Yellow Belt. They go through a lean production simulation lab that we have, as well as how to read blueprints, use um, metrology tools, those types of things. We also help them with resumes, interviewing, and introducing them to the partners. So that was our focus with the first cohort is, is finalizing that pre-apprenticeship, recruiting into it, and we kicked off with 20 candidates in that first pre-apprenticeship. Of those 20, 13 of them were hired as apprentices by those four companies. Five of them determined advanced manufacturing was not for them, which, you know, great. We found that out on the front end. We set them up with other success advisors at the college to help them enroll in a program that better fit their needs and their, their skills. All five of them were still students at Force by Tech, but they were in different programs. And then the remaining of the 20 decided that college just wasn't for them at the moment and they decided instead of apprenticeships to apply for full-time jobs and all three of them were additionally hired so we called that first pre-apprenticeship cohort a success all 20 had a had a positive outcome i i would say so that's about you know 100 percent. you really can't do any better than that so what what were the learnings in that first cohort so you talked about i think the the, the pre-apprenticeship so you you almost, was that like used as a filtering or a, maybe a prep program would be better? Is that is that how you use that? Exactly. Yes, it was a way for the students to get enough of a foundation that they understood the field they were going into, and it gave the employers a chance to meet those students at least twice before they gave them an apprenticeship offer. So was it twenty people that were in the pre-apprenticeship program, and then the numbers? Okay, so that's correct. Yes. Okay. So the 13 went on to become apprentices for the companies Correct. and then the yes. five that switched to other programs, but they continued on with the school and then the others just went and got uh, full-time jobs. Correct. Yes. Okay, cool. Very cool. And there were some, some lessons learned there. So when it came time for the second year, the second cohort, when we ran our next pre-apprenticeship, we got industry input to revamp our application process. David helped us put together a list of skills on the application that the applicant must check they're interested in. That gave us an idea up front. Are we targeting the right candidates? They have to write a hundred words, a, a small essay on why they want to be an apprentice. That helps us get to know them. And then we asked a few other questions um, about maybe classes they took in high school, what their GPA was, that type of, those types of things. And so we were able to much better target our second cohort and we've had um, 100% retention from that group. So that's interesting. So Dave, David, with the skills checklist, what type of skills were you looking for or were they attributes that said, hey, this person fits what were, fits this industry? Yeah, I think it was more attributes really and just gauging their understanding of, you know, did they understand what they were getting into? So gauging their understanding of what was their idea of manufacturing? What was their idea of engineering? Did they understand it? Did they have any previous experience, maybe in high school with a drafting course? Um, you know, just a combination of questions like that um, to number one, you know, uh, gauge their understanding of what they were signing up for. And number two, gauging what their actual interest was in, in the subject matter. And, and I'm also interested that you added the essay and I, I, I applaud that for a couple reasons, but what, what were you heading for there? I'm just curious. Well, one, could they follow directions? Could they write 100 words? Okay. Um, and two, that just gave them a chance to tell us about themselves. Yeah. You know, we got some people that wrote about this wonderful mentor in their life that kind of sparked this. We had other people that wrote in the box, you know, I'm a career changer. I lost my job because of COVID. I'm looking to do something new. And then we had some people that were very honest and said, I don't know what I want to do. I don't really understand what this is, but I'd like to be given a chance. And so from there, you know, we do follow up emails and phone calls with our applicants to, to help explain the program and to reroute them somewhere else in the college if, if that would be a better fit than manufacturing. Yeah, and, and you didn't say it, but I have a feeling it's there, is that uh, the essay gives a chance to display soft skills. And I don't know why they're called soft because they're the hard ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the hard skills are, you know, obviously you can learn, uh, but soft skill you can learn a hard skill in a relatively short period of time, but a soft skill can take years and maybe decades. So having employability skills. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what this saying is, uh, you get hired for hard skills, you get fired for soft skills. <laughs> right. 
So I uh, hadn't heard that one. I like that. Yes, I've I've trademarked that. So please, you can send that. I'm just kidding. I have not. Um, let's see. Um, the apprentices. So you said that you're the last. You're at 100 um, percent completion on your last group. So let's talk about the apprenticeships. Uh, the apprentices themselves. You know, where what kind of benefits are they bringing? And, and and David, let's start with you. Like, what are you seeing from working with the students? Uh, what are they coming back and saying? Hey, here's. Are, are they giving you feedback? What am I learning? How's my life improving? Those kind of things. So, yeah, with the LEAP program, you know, students, they can begin as early as their first day of classes. So at that point, they're really, they're, they're earning a livable wage, right? So they can really focus their time on the coursework and, and the on-the-job training. That's been an obstacle for some students in the past. A lot of community college students are juggling their time. They're, they're trying to commit their time to a full-time schedule to earn a degree so that they can improve um, you know, their, their uh, opportunities for careers and jobs, but at the same time they have to pay bills and they're, they're working a job. In some cases they're working third shift and coming in, you know, on minimal sleep. We've seen that a lot in the past. Um, so this addresses that it addresses a quality of life issue while they're students. Um, so they, they, they're able to make that livable wage. Um, they're able to get the on the job experience. It's really, really critical for them to, to enter. Um, the workforce and, and start a career. Um, you know, they're, they're getting that journey worker credential and uh, doing all of it, um, you know, seemingly with no debt once they leave us. Um, so that's a huge benefit. Also, as because they're doing on-the-job training with the curriculum coursework, they're able to take what they're learning in the classroom and they can immediately apply it or see how it fits into the big picture or, the, you know, quote-unquote real world, if you will. Uh, of the workforce, and that's been it's that's always been a challenge for students. I mean, we we know that you know kind of one of the things students have said in the past, and I'm sure I've said it many times as a student in the past, is how the heck is this going to help me later, or how am I going to use this, um, you know, out in the field or out in the real world? Um, now this allows them to actually take what they're learning in the classroom uh, on the curriculum side and take it to the workplace you know, later that day or later in the week and see exactly how it fits and how it applies. So really the quality of life and just being able to get on, just support yourself. If you have a family, do some, you know, contribute to that, but still be learning and earning all the, from day one, uh, just sounds absolutely critical. Um, how much time, if you, the ratio of time in class versus on the job, but what's, what's the breakdown of that? So it varies slightly by employer needs. Uh, what we're able to do is add some flexibility to the, um, to the classwork portion of that. Because we have uh, a lot of lab hours for many of our courses, we are able to have the students complete some of those lab hours on the job so that yeah, as long as they're meeting competencies, as long as they're meeting learning objectives in a way that we can measure, uh, in a way that we can document. Uh, a lot of those lab hours can be fulfilled in a, in a way that's not traditional. In other words, not necessarily physically in the classroom at that moment. So that's that's a way that we've been able to, to kind of add some flexibility there. Also, you know, as we mentioned, the employers were very involved in, in building this program on the front end because it was informed by the employers and the competencies that they, that they needed. Therefore, we were able to restructure their curriculum a little bit so that we could make sure that students were, were here in a certain block of time, specifically most of the morning, uh, and able to consolidate those hours into the first part of the day so that they, commit the, they can commit the later part of the day uh, to being on the job and, and in the work um, you know, on the floor, so to speak. So from an academic side, it sounds like you guys have been really flexible so that you can kind of adjust to what the market wants rather than expecting the market adjust to an acad a traditional academic calendar. Correct. And, and having hybrid options available has helped as well. So what we can accomplish through a virtual model or an online uh, you know, learning management system, uh, we can do that. You know, we, we use what's called the flipped classroom methodology for a lot of our classes uh, where we're able to do that. And again, it just adds that much more flexibility uh, for the students and the employers. Um, but we're also, we've also been very cognizant about 
um, not reducing academic rigor, and we're making sure that we are meeting those learning objectives and that we're able to effectively uh, measure the students' learning and ensure that they're getting the competencies that are required. And, and you feel like the students themselves, they're, they're getting that academic uh, experience and the rigor and, and, and elevating through. And you guys, you've matched your flexibility, it sounds like. So, but it's, st and it's still impacting them in, in the way that's, that you intended. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we believe it has. And, and as I mentioned earlier, when they're able to connect their learning with what they're actually doing on the job, uh, I would argue that it's, it's even more effective than what was traditionally being done six, seven years ago, um, you know, when, every, when we were pretty much 100% in the classroom on campus. Right. Um, now you guys are, could, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add to that. Our employer partners also 1,000% believe in the curriculum and what the students are, are learning in class, and that is shown through the commitment they've made. I don't know if we've mentioned this. They actually pay the apprentice their hourly wage for both the time they are on the job and the time they are in class. So if you just want to break down an example, let's say that's a 40-hour work week. Let's say they're getting paid about 25 hours on the job, the remaining 15 for the time they spend either in an in-person or online class or a lab. So I think that just shows the commitment from the employers and that they believe in what we're what we're training the students in also. Yeah, that's complete dedication. And that's that's really putting your money, you know, where your mouth is to say. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, respect that greatly. So let's talk about that. So your employers, are they 100% funding this or do you have any kind of funding arms that you're using, any mechanisms? Uh, kind of dive into that a little bit if you could. Absolutely. So on the tuition fees and book side, so the, the cost of the college for apprentices, we have three main funding sources so that apprentices do not incur college debt. So in North Carolina, we are very fortunate that the state has implemented a tuition waiver for any apprentice who signs on to a pre-apprenticeship or apprenticeship program before they graduate high school. Okay. So I would say about a quarter of our apprentices sign on and commit to our pre-apprenticeship before their graduation date, which activates that tuition waiver. So they, the, the state just foregoes the revenue for their tuition and fees. For our adult apprentices who don't qualify for that, we utilize what's called education assistance funds, which is through a grant that Apprenticeship North Carolina receives statewide. And then individually, we apply for those funds on the student's behalf. And Apprenticeship North Carolina is invoiced and just pays the college directly for tuition fees and books. And then thirdly, we have a private grant through the Duke Energy Foundation for $250,000 to help kickstart our apprenticeship program. And so that has been used to cover tuition fees and books. It's been used to reimburse students for tools and other items they need on the job. We also cover the registration fee for our pre-apprenticeship. We've purchased equipment and items needed to train in our pre-apprenticeship. And we're also looking at using some of those funds to increase our bandwidth in some of our labs so that we can bring on more apprentices. So those three funding sources have been huge. And then on the employer side, they commit to following our progressive wage scale and paying the hourly rate that the apprentice is progressing through for that full, let's call it 40 hours a week. So on the progressive wage scale, do you guys set that or is that a per employer kind of, you, do you negotiate that or work that out? Because Forsyth Tech is the sponsor, mm -hmm. we create the standards and it's one set of standards across all employers. Okay. So we polled our employer partners and, and determined what the journey worker rate was for each occupation at each employer. And from there, we set a minimum wage scale. Okay. So that way, companies of all sizes and, and abilities can, can still participate, um, but the, there's a bit of equity there in, in what the apprentice is being paid. And because we are a competency-based program, the wage increases happen at percentages. So, for example, when they get to 33% of their skills, they get the first increase, then 66%, 99%, and then the journey worker rate. So what you are in essence doing, since you're getting all, you know, all the employers in the market or many of them feedback, you're, you're literally setting the market rate for that uh, employee. And now the companies can always 
pay more than that if they want. Uh, if they want to attract better or more, whatever, they can do so. That, is that correct? Exactly. But we know students talk. So this sure. way, when they're all in class together and they're sharing what's happening at their employer, it, it's just more equitable across the board. So yeah. everyone's starting around the same and, and No one's making 20% less than the person they're sitting next to on day one. Is, is Hopefully not. Hopefully yes, not. <laughs> that so is our goal. You guys have touched on it a couple of times, and I, I meant to bring it up earlier, but I think the... Uh, to, let's talk a little bit about the partnering of companies. So uh, these are competitors, uh, but yet they're coming together. So let's talk a little about that. What's their mindset there? I, I, I want to learn more about that. Yeah, that's a good question. So in advanced manufacturing, um, our advisory committee takes the form of what we refer to as the BUILT, and that's an acronym for Business and Industry Leadership Team. So we have our advanced manufacturing BUILT. Um, what's different from that versus your traditional advisory model is that it's truly led by the employers. So we, um, our belt has a chairperson who's from local industry um, who leads a lot of these activities. Um, and a lot of these partnerships, in addition to LEAP, um, some of these activities that we partner on can be centered around recruiting, for example. That's really a big focus right now, understandably, because industry is out there um, looking for people. Um, Daniel mentioned a moment ago that with the, the apprenticeship model that we have, um, it really is an equitable model in the sense that uh, companies of all sizes can really participate. They can have a seat at the table and, and it's, it's more or less, uh, you know, there's no barriers to entry for them as far as, you know, if you're a small company, you're only going to take one apprentice in three years. That's okay. You're still welcome to the party, right? So they can come on board. Um, so they're all part of the same group. And uh, to your question of, well, these are competitors, how do you get them sitting at the table? Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I think what's really important for the folks who you're recruiting to be part of such a team as this and with our built is that they're really committed to what's important. And really that's regional economic development, partnering with the college to make that happen. Everybody, everybody has a, a vested interest in that, whether or not you're competing in, in a, you know, a certain segment of the market, um, and, you know, it's sort of an all ships rise mentality, if you will. Yeah. Right. So sometimes what you'll hear, um, and you've probably heard this before, Doug, from some folks um, when you're talking about apprenticeship models is why would I invest all that time in somebody and they're just going to leave in two years? Yeah. You know, the short answer to that is, well, that's a company culture issue that you need to figure out. Um, but really, um, it, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. You know what? If that person does leave, they're, they're probably going to go to, you know, the person down the street. But you know what? If somebody leaves there, maybe they're going to come to you because maybe you're just a better cultural fit. So at the end of the day, what's important to understand is that um, those differences may arise. Every cult, you know, every company has their own culture um, that they're that they're working within, or that they've created, and uh, workers will go where they fit best. And if everybody kind of has that understanding, I think they're more willing to work together and come to the table and you know see the bigger picture, if you will, and work toward the same goal. Yeah, I'm glad you said that about if somebody does leave and move down the street and then the, the mentality of like, why would I invest that two years in them just to have them leave? But the, the recognition that that door swings both ways. That's right. Um, yep. And that's that's critical. And I'm also uh, curious about um, the certification uh, for each competency or the competencies they build up and they get a national certification that is then portable, uh, which is part of registered apprenticeship. Uh, that to me uh, says you've created a... Um, uh, uh, let's call it an infrastructure of talent, a pool of talent that can then go throughout the region uh, and move around. And you may need them at a certain point in time and you may not need them at other points in time, but they're available uh, for you. So I, I would think that's a benefit as well. Absolutely. That's right. And, you know, what we know statistically is that um, of all the uh, community college um, students that we have, 80% are going to stay locally in the region. So to your point, we are developing that regional talent pool. And, um, you know, with that comes other effects, right? You, you bring in other companies, support companies. And, you know, again, maybe that, maybe that one person is going to go down the street to somebody else, but maybe what they're doing is going to support other business coming into the region in the future. And that business will in turn support what you're doing. And it, it all comes back around. Do you guys have enough data yet to see like uh, whoever whoever the company is that they the apprentice works with, what percentage are likely to stay the first three years, five years? Uh, do you guys have that sort of data yet? 
since we're a relatively new program, you know, we started in 2019 and it takes two to three years to complete. We've only had three completers so far. I say only, but it's a huge accomplishment. We have, we've had three, three, three compared to zero previously. Exactly. So that's awesome. Exactly. Um, so we don't yet have that data, um, but definitely something we're going to be tracking in the future. And we know nationally in other industries, it's in the nineties, uh, 91, 93. I see those kind of floating around. And I mean, let's, I think the construction industry is the one industry that never got away from apprenticeship and that's a hard job yet. They don't see, you don't, I don't hear them complaining very much about struggling with their talent pipeline. I think they seem to have mastered it. So I think it's, it's, it's an opportunity for all of us to learn from them. Um, so that's, North, I was just going to add real quick. Apprenticeship North Carolina actually put out a report on the return on investment <laughs> for employers. And um, I would recommend anyone that wants to read that going to, apprenticeship nc's website i don't want to quote them wrong but i want to say it was somewhere around for every dollar an employer spends on an apprentice the return on investment is in the range of a dollar 70. so that report is is really they collected a lot of data they interviewed employers and i think it really gleams a lot on the benefits of apprenticeships from the employer side i know i pulled a number when i first started an apprenticeship myself from the department of labor u.s department of labor and they were saying a dollar 51 and the last time i quoted that someone immediately said you need to update your data so i have a <laughs> feeling you're correct because the the, the uh, return on investment is increasing which i mean if you're a company and you've got a training program and you're going to get a dollar 70 return you, you gotta there, there's there's really no holding you back if you're only holding yourself back at, the, at that point Exactly. And everything we've been talking about from both the student standpoint and from the employer standpoint, it all ties back to our college's mission. And so um, for Scythe Tech, our, our, our vision statement is that we are a catalyst for equitable economic mobility, empowering lives and transforming communities. And I think that's exactly what we're doing. We're seeing economic mobility within our student body. We're seeing the community being transformed by programs like this. And it, it just all ties back to why we are a community college. And you just hit the word uh, equi uh, equitable. So are you guys seeing that the apprenticeship is a more of a, an inclusion uh, model and bringing in maybe non-traditional uh, audiences into the marketplace? I think that's one of the benefits of us being an adult program. So we have had apprentices ranging in age from 18 to 58. We have some that are right out of high school, still living with their families, getting their feet wet. We have other apprentices that have had one, two, three careers, and, and this, is, this is their next career move. We also have had great success with incumbent workers, meaning employers using this as an internal tool to help advance their workforce. I want to say about nine or 10 of our 50 plus apprentices have actually been employees of that company and were, were selected for the apprenticeship. So I think our model specifically does offer equitable opportunities for people to train or retrain. Have you been able to yet, uh, in maybe in your pre-apprenticeship program, I know advanced manufacturing is probably traditionally more male dominated. Have you been able to start to open up opportunities for maybe females or minorities or, or maybe other groups that kind of wouldn't necessarily be included in this? Yes. Yeah, so about 10% of our pre-apprentices and apprentices have been female. Um, in addition to that, we work very closely with what are called NC Works career coaches at our local high schools, and they help us to identify students across all populations that could could um, succeed in an apprenticeship and benefit from an apprenticeship. So we do lunch and learns at some of our high schools to target populations who may not hear about apprenticeships or for Scythe Tech in other ways. We've done um, several community outreach events. We have partnered with our veteran services on campus. And then um, we were also recently selected for a national industry and inclusion cohort. And Dave and I will be working with other colleges across the country to um, to really even do better at our, our recruitment efforts. So you guys are actually reaching out and working with other schools uh, across the country as well then. That's interesting. Our kickoff is next week, so not quite sure what it's going to look like, but we're really excited to be a part of it. Do you, is it like a, uh, like a national group, like an associate, like the C Association of Community Colleges, or how's that being formed? 
It's 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 a joint venture between the Century Foundation and uh, the Urban Manufacturing Alliance. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Now, did who who was the catalyst on that? Did you guys get asked to join, or or did you say, hey, now let's get this started and start calling people? How did that happen? How did they actually it? reached out to us, and I think it was it, it may have I don't know if Leap got him on the got us on the radar, or it, I think it was through the apprenticeship uh, office on the state level. Correct, okay. Danielle. Correct. Yes, apprenticeship yeah. NC uh, had sent the information to us. We looked over it and filled out an application. Right. And so I think out of, and, and don't quote me on this number, but I want to say there were like 80-something applicants, if I remember correctly. And if again, if memory serves me, I think, uh, was the final number 13? There I, was mean, I was thinking 13, yes. Uh-huh, correct. So we were one of the 13 chosen. And it's probably dispersed fairly evenly across geographically across the country, I'm assuming? We're going to find out. Oh, yeah, you guess find out. So I'll do yeah. So that gives us a good excuse to do a follow-up because I want to find out how that goes because mm-hmm. that's interesting. I think I think right now, you know, we're, we're all, not intentionally, but working in silos. We've got our own areas and we're working in it. But we do have to start creating those linkages uh, so we can get more people involved and obviously more programs involved. So kudos to you guys for uh, getting involved in that. That's great. Great to hear. Um, let's talk about, you guys have already had some instant success. So what are the keys to success and i'd like to hear from both both your perspectives on you know from the time you started to where you've evolved now and to where you think you're going what what are you finding are the keys to success i think from the apprentice standpoint we have done a better job on the front end of let's call it an individual orientation so we actually spend a good 30 minutes with each apprentice individually giving them our undivided attention to go through the program our expectations because we are the sponsor we are able to directly fill out their registration form through the nc apprenticeship system we also ask students to sign a FERPA release if they are willing, which allows us at the college to communicate with the employers to share attendance and grades and any issues that might come up on our end. So I think we've done a good job of building those expectations on the front end with the students. We do regular check-ins with the students throughout the program. We have had some just unbelievable circumstances that students go through. And so as a college, we have support services such as our Forsyth Tech Cares office that can provide loaner laptops and internet. We have a food pantry, assistance with housing, transportation, anything the student needs to remain a student and to be successful, the college can help with. Um, and then we, we celebrate the apprentices. We do an annual, actually twice a year, we do a signing ceremony for each cohort. We invite their families, their employers, the community. We celebrate them. We let them know we're proud of them, that this is a rigorous program. They're doing great things. And then when they get their journey worker credentials, we also present those to them in a ceremony. So from the student standpoint, I think just supporting them in every way we can has been has been huge. And I'll let David talk more from I, the employer I do have side. one quick question there. So on the support okay, services, yeah. which I think is critical, because we all know if the car breaks down and you can't get to your job, that's that's not good. How are you guys funding that? So the college has a few funding sources. I believe some of it was through CARES Act money and some of it is has been through private uh, donations. I believe the Belk Foundation assists with that. And we have full-time staff, uh, right now three care coordinators. And so as faculty and staff at the college, we can refer a student directly to them and then they can get confidential counseling and assistance with, with what they need. So it really helps us as faculty and staff to have someone who's dedicated 100% of their time to helping that student and following through with that student. So for you, it's easy because you have a you have a mechanism that you just trigger, and then for the student, it's private, and it's, it's convenient, and okay, that's great. And it's quick. Yeah. Um, most of the students that we refer report back that they get the assistance they need within, you know, a couple of days. No, that's great. That's great to hear. So uh, uh, let's go on, David, from, I guess, from the employer side. Yeah, from the employer side, um, really having a strong team of dedicated industry partners is really critical. And you've got to get those folks who are really committed 
to that that larger goal that we spoke about of you know really developing the regional talent pipeline and, and economic development. Um, all that, of course, you know, being very student focused, student success is is number one. Um, that's you know that's always our, our number one goal, and um, the employers also have to be on board with that idea that it, that it all comes back truly to that, to truly being student centered. Um, all other pieces kind of fall into place once once you really focus on that. I think, um, and you know, having that strong core team of those industry partners who really want to want to champion the cause, I guess, uh, is is critical. And getting people to really think differently—that's that's been a challenge, but it's one that we've really made great strides on. So, for example, when when we're having conversations with employers. And we hear, you know, we can't find the talent that we're looking for. We can't find that that skilled pool. Um, you know, this is what we were hearing two and three years ago. Um, you know, it turns into a conversation of, well, what are you doing? And what are your recruiting practices? Is that working, right? If the answer is no, let's explore some, some ideas about what we can do differently. Let's get creative. Let's brainstorm new ideas. Um, and through that process, we've come up with communication plans to target, uh, you know, different uh, groups for recruiting practices. Because, as mentioned earlier, we know that in manufacturing we have underrepresented groups. So since those conversations started two and three years ago, we've been able to get the LEAP program off the ground and also change our recruiting practices how we how we communicate. Um, you know, those, those different uh, recruiting messages to different audiences. And through that, we've actually uh, seen a steady increase of those underrepresented groups in our uh, advanced manufacturing programs, which then, of course, will lead into the job market. So we hope to continue that trajectory and that growth. Um, think differently. So that's so that's interesting. So that had to be an evolution process, because to your point, we can't find talent. That's that's the that's the standard statement. Um, but somehow you got your industry partners to overcome that and say, okay, we've got to do something different. Uh, how long did that process take, or was it the process itself? I mean, that, that didn't happen overnight. I'm certain. Is that no? It's still it's still happening. It's still ongoing. Okay. So it's you know it's it it almost seems like it's it's sort of one employer at a time kind of saying, oh, okay, I get it. You know, sort of. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, several years ago, I, I say several. I mean, probably four or five years ago, uh, I recall a conversation that's sort of indicative of, of a lot of conversations I was having about at that time of an employer. They were a mid-sized employer, um, traditional, you know, manufacturing environment. And the conversation was, you know, I, I can't find people. And my question was, well, where are you looking, right? Um, and it was, oh, you know, we put an ad out in the paper or we put something online. And then when I look at their requirements of what they're asking for, they're asking for somebody who already has, yeah. you know, a highly specialized <laughs> skill set and 20 years of experience. Well, is it that you can't find people or you can't find the person that you are asking for? Because, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest, it's it's a little bit unreasonable of an ask at, at this point. So having conversations uh, with those employers about what are you actually asking for? What is, what is required? in this employee, in this this worker that you're asking for? What are the true requirements? Um, and, and that gets really interesting when we talk about education because we try to help employers understand the difference between training and education. Who owns the true training piece and who owns the education piece of this? If we can educate people, can you own the training portion to get them up to speed to where, to where you need them? And, and what's a reasonable amount of time to get that done? So just changing their thinking about you know what, I'm not going to find this turnkey person to come in and just do the job on day one. I have to do an investment up front. It goes back to the idea of, you know, for that dollar to dollar seventy, you know, how is that ROI going to work out for you? Um, those conversations, are, they're still happening. They're still ongoing. It is a bit of a slow process. Something else that I've noticed in having conversations with, you know, certain employers here and there over the years is when I ask them to describe this worker, who are you looking for? They use terms like, oh, you know, this guy or this young kid. And I have to stop and say, okay, let's, you know, think about how you're envisioning this person in your mind. Let's change that up a little bit. And, you know, 
try to try to broaden that that pool a little bit and you'll find that you have a lot more candidates than maybe you think you do interesting so that leads me to one of my final questions and it really comes down to the employer so in in, um, in registered apprentice uh the mentor is is a huge has a huge role um are you guys are, are the employer partners that you're working with do they have plenty of mentors how are they developing their mentors are you guys involved in that at all that's a great question and that was one of our lessons learned the first year we really we really noticed as we were checking in with the mentors that some of them didn't understand how they fit into the big picture of apprenticeships or what their role really was. We did a lot of conversations with upper management at employers about, you know, just because this person's been here 30 years and they're the most senior person doesn't mean they're the best mentor. Um, in addition to that, in North Carolina, we have some training dollars that we as a community college can spend um, to help employer partners with professional development and different skills training. So we have set aside at the college funding for a quarterly apprenticeship mentor training. So this is no cost to the employer. We invite all of the mentors. We have done all four trainings so far. We have our fifth one coming up next week. We decided to add a bonus. The first module is just all about LEAP, our program. How do you fit in as a mentor? What are the expectations? And what is a mentor versus a coach? Um, this is All these are taught by third-party instructors. Forgot to mention that part. The second module is about generational differences. This was probably the most interactive session we've had. Like David was talking about, people envision this young kid. Well, when their apprentice is maybe not what they envisioned, whether their apprentice is much younger than them or much older than them, how do they, how did their beliefs from their generation um, interact with each other? So that one was, was fascinating. The third module we did was DISC workplace styles. It was an assessment that we had both the apprentice and their mentor do. And then we held the session over spring break so that students weren't in class and we invited the mentor to bring their apprentice with them. And from there, we really dove into the different workplace styles that exist and how they can either complement or create uh, maybe tension between styles. And so we had really good one-on-one -on -one apprentice mentor time to, to work through those things and, and talk about that. And then our fourth module is going to be impactful feedback. And so how do you give and receive feedback? We also want to add that fifth bonus uh, training and we're looking at potentially diversity, inclusion and equity. Uh, we're, we're gonna pull the mentors and, and ask, what, what do you think would be most valuable for this last training? And then we will repeat those five on an annual basis. So as mentors join, they just, hop on in to whatever training we're on and they can complete the full year. Okay, so they don't have to, they, 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 don't, they don't have to take those in a sequential order. They can take them, they can start wherever. Yes, we, we do try to offer the module one the most because yeah. it kind of makes sense to have your introduction first. Yeah. Um, and, and we've had, gosh, each session we've had over 20 mentors attend. Okay. And it's also unique because now they've met mentors from other companies and they can call each other to also work through questions that come up. So that, that's been really neat to see. So, and then David, from your perspective on the mentor, are you seeing anything like, what is the mentor getting out of this? Uh, you know, on the, in, you know, in the job themselves, what are the, how are they benefiting or, or are they benefiting? So, you know, I, I think just through, I guess, just, just, observation anecdotally I think what what the mentors are getting is is an opportunity to really build a relationship um, and that benefits both the mentor of course and the mentee uh, but being put in a role where they uh, maybe maybe they're in a leadership role where they currently are maybe they're not but this really puts them in a leadership role in a very different way right they're they're probably kind of getting outside their comfort zone a little bit mm -hmm. right so it's not like just the employer who's like doing something they're not supposed to do and, you know, gets written up. It's more like, okay, you know, I'm being more observant. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take a different approach. I'm, I'm mentoring. Um, how, how can I take this situation and turning in it into a, a teachable moment here? Um, so putting somebody in that position, um, I think does help sort of expand their experience a little bit yeah. and, and put them in a place that 
that you know they're not used to and they're they're not experienced with previously but it, it does help them grow as themselves as an employee and hopefully as a person as well now that sounds great i'm, I'm curious and I, we're probably not there yet but as people retire i see more and more companies people will have a retirement party on friday and the person shows back up on monday as a consultant i, I feel like maybe the mentor might be an opportunity to extend some careers maybe in uh, some non-traditional ways and come in and help grow the next generation for folks so i, I could see that coming down the road so yeah well, that's an interesting yeah that's an interesting concept we also would love to see some of our apprentice completers then turn around and become a mentor for the next round of apprentices. That was going to be my next question. So there's really no age or time limit when you need, when you can become a mentor. Once you've been through it, you could literally turn around and mentor the next group coming in. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So that, that would be a way for companies to build. I, I think one of the biggest things I'm hearing is that companies are challenged with just having uh, the appropriate number and the appropriate types of uh, mentors. That's their biggest challenge, especially in industries with high turnover. Uh, but I think you just made a great point, Danielle, that you don't have to, once you've done it, you can, you can help the next person along. I think that's great. Well, great. Yes. And, and our program does have a two to one ratio. So one mentor can mentor up to two apprentices. So that does help sometimes to, to be able to if you don't have a, a large pool of mentors, you can still bring in two apprentices for every mentor. Great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate both of your time. Is there anything that we didn't touch on, and we touched on a lot, uh, that you guys would like to talk about or just bring to the table? Gosh, I think we covered most of it, and you asked great questions, so it helped ju you know keep the keep the conversation on track. So yeah. Can't think of anything to add at the moment. David, yourself? Uh, no, I can't think of anything additionally. Uh, like Danielle said, I think we, yeah, we covered quite a bit. Definitely hit the high points. Well, I definitely want to follow up in a couple months and see kind of how things are going for you guys. So please stay in touch. Uh, you know, we're, we're all uh, together on LinkedIn. We're all together in this whole building up the apprenticeship, uh, you know, not just in North Carolina, but around the country. So I feel like we're on the same team in, in some ways. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you both for coming on. Your time was greatly appreciated. And I can't wait to see uh, how this sounds when we get it out uh, in the podcast world. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks, thanks guys. Too. Have a great thanks day. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks for listening to Apprenticeship Works. If you want to build the workforce you need and stop the revolving door of employees, there's only one place to go. Apprenticeship Works. We'll see you next time.